I'm one of the leaders here at the Beacon Church. And just to help set the scene, while you're turning to Acts chapter 19, please. Acts chapter 19. We are going through a series that we started back in January called The Unstoppable Church. If we can have the slide up, please, Paul. Thank you. The series we started a few months ago, and we're carrying on for a few more weeks yet. It's called The Unstoppable Church. And we're looking at um, the Apostle Paul's second and third missionary journeys that we find in the book of Acts. And basically, after um, having spent some time, having started some new churches and regathered with some of the other leaders in Jerusalem and Antioch, and uh, Paul, uh, go, well, he wants to go back to see the churches he started, to strengthen them, to encourage them. He's been hearing some good reports already. He wants to go back and see them. He's got a real heart, a family heart for him, a father's heart. But he also wants to start new ones, keep spreading the word of Jesus across the known world, which he ends up doing. So if we follow the second and then the third missionary journeys. And uh, already in the past few weeks of looking at these stories, we've seen new birth, we've seen new uh, people coming to Christ, we've seen new churches started, we've seen healings and, um, and people connecting and Paul's even networking and using that for the glory of the gospel. He's been sharing Jesus. We've seen Holy Spirit coming on, on people in quite magnificent ways. We've seen a real grounding in, in Scripture, in, in what the Old Testament said and what Jesus is now doing. Um, we've seen lots and lots of examples of what the unstoppable church looks like. And when we recognise, whenever the church has just carried on doing these things, 2,000 years later, she's still more than unstoppable. That's who we are as God's people. When the church looks like it's decaying, it's normally because something quite vital has been ignored in Scripture. Something quite vital has been uh, either ignored, perhaps even added to. You know, Jesus plus something. And that's when the church weakens. When it's Jesus plus nothing, it's all about him. It's all grounded in him and letting him do what he needs to do. Let the Holy Spirit be the best counsellor, the best, uh, best helper, if you like, alongside the church and being spirit-filled and just walking in that journey. The church proves time and time and time and time again she is unstoppable. Whenever, she, whenever other authorities have tried to stop her, she's grown as a result. It still happens today. I've, seen, I've met pastors in Vietnam who got imprisoned because the police said if we remove the head of the church, put him in prison, the church would die. Two years later, he gets released from prison. The church is two, three, four times the size because they say, he's not the head of our church. Thank you very much. That's Jesus. Church grows when she, reaches, when she faces animosity and persecution. This is the unstoppable church and this is who we are today as well. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 19. We've now come to verse 11 of this passage. Let's read it together and see what God has to say to us. And God was doing, this is Paul's in Ephesus at the moment. He spent a couple of years in Ephesus, bedding in and teaching the word and pointing to Jesus. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that attached his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognise, but who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. 
Oh, amen. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who have practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Lord, even as we just look at this passage that has some curiosities in it, Lord, may we just come to a deeper knowledge of you, of your goodness, your grace, your power, your majesty, your mercy. Lord, let none of us in this room walk away from here unchanged, unchallenged, unprovoked by what you want to say to us this morning. So help me as I do that. But Lord, may you do, <laughs> while I speak these words, may you do the hard work in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's some interesting things here in this passage, aren't there? Some curiosities. We as a Western society have kind of self-penned ourselves as a secular age. We're in a secular era, is what it's called. Actually, it's not strictly true. Secular, at its purest definition, means non-spiritual. But to be in a secular age these days, that just means that spirituality is one option amongst many, really. It's not completely ignored, but... What it tends to mean is people believe we're in an age where spirituality is irrelevant or either actually isn't true in the age of science, having all the answers and so on and so forth. But actually, in truth, we are far more, far more interested in spirituality as a culture than it appears. More and more people as the years are going by are believing in ghosts again. There was a survey done 10, 15, 20 years ago uh, across the UK population. 40% of people believed in ghosts. A few years ago, they did the poll again, 52%. It's going up. Over half of people now believe in ghosts. Movies that we make, and of course in North America that they make in Hollywood as well, of course, they still abound with spectres and magic. There's an interest. They wouldn't make them if they weren't popular. There's an interest. People still sp seek spiritual experiences, different religions, new age stuff, going to see spiritualists and mediums and so on and so forth. And it's for us as a church to actually just demonstrate a naturally supernatural life to not point out where they're wrong, but to point out where he is right. Just to live a naturally supernatural... We do need to speak into We do need to speak against evil practices. I'm not questioning that at all. We do need to speak out. But what I'm saying is, I want to be known less for what I stand against and more for who I stand for. Let's be naturally supernatural. That's what we're going to look at in a minute. That means words of knowledge we had this morning. Prophecies being... You know, words of knowledge when in conversation, just something comes up sometimes that God... Bring, I ask you to, to interject into the conversation that you couldn't possibly have known and it unlocks the conversation to a deeper level. I've had that with friends. Stuff I could never have known about their childhood. I've asked a friend a question. But did your mum and dad, etc., etc.? How did you know? Yes. And it actually allowed our conversation to go much deeper and much further as a result. That's a word of knowledge. But also prophecy, God revealing his heart to us through us as well. Prayers for healing. We have seen healings in this mist and we're going to keep asking for them. We're going to keep praying. Taking authority over spiritual activity, over evil spirits. And we'll talk about those in a minute as well. And even miracles as a theme has been prophesied over us as Beacon. Just a few years ago, Pete Pemberthy said, I see miracles over you. That's not just healings. That can be money miracles, etc. Let's expect them. Let's expect them. Let's just ask for them. See what he can do. And as we do, we are being naturally supernatural. And it will just demonstrate yet again the church as unstoppable in the light of that. So this passage... This introduces a naturally supernatural lifestyle that we see being demonstrated in both miracles. I've called it miracles and power. Power as in, in the spiritual realm. Let's look at the miracles first of all. Verse 12. God was doing extraordinary, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons 
that had touched his skin were carried away to their sick and their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. What's going on there? Now, remember at the time Paul was a tent maker in Ephesus. He wore these aprons. He'd have headbands to catch, catch the sweat. It was hard work. And these belts and these aprons, they had his sweat in them. They touched his skin. And people were just carrying them away to the sick people who got healed. It's quite random. Now, we need to note that the intent here is to celebrate what God was doing. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. Find someone who's really anointed and nick their snotty handkerchief and run away to the sick. It's not that at all. This is what God chose to do there and then. This isn't for us to pursue. Jenny and I, we experienced a, uh, a preacher who came and we were just talking about Jenny's granddad. He was, he was on his deathbed at the time and he, he gave the family a, a handkerchief that he prayed over and we took it to granddad. It made no difference. He said he felt a bit of a warmth that might just be him wishful thinking. I don't know. Nothing happened. He still died. And actually looking back, was that helpful? I don't, I don't know. We shouldn't try and pursue this as a formula to get people healed because then we're missing the point entirely. This is just what God chose to do at the time. We need to be very careful. But in light of that, do miracles still happen today? Amen. Thank you, April. Do you want the microphone? Yeah, preach it, sister. There is no scripture that says miracles must come to an end. Some believers have that kind of interpretation. There are no scriptures that say that miracles should come to an end. Church history, since the writing of the New Testament, since then, has continued to speak of miracles happening. They do happen. Many of us here could put our hands up. They are for today, both theologically but also experientially. Who here has experienced a miracle, whether directly or indirectly? Number of hands going up. What do I mean by miracle? A miracle would be an extraordinary event that breaks into the ordinary world. It's one helpful way to understand a miracle. An extraordinary event in the ordinary world. C.S. Lewis, Christian author who wrote the Narnia books, Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, he describes a miracle like this. He says, Something unique that breaks a pattern so expected and established, we hardly consider the possibility that it could be broken. There are natural laws, there are natural consequences in this universe. You boil a kettle at a certain temperature, and it, if you bring, you bring water sorry, to a certain temperature, it will always boil. There are things that will always happen in this life. You step in front of a car at 30 miles an hour, guess what's going to happen? However, when those things don't happen, we understand there's a miracle that can only be explained by God breaking in. The extraordinary into the ordinary. They are meant to be, in that respect, unexplainable. Other than, well, God did it. This is what a lot of my friends don't like about it. They want to explain it. They want the science behind it. They are meant to be unexplainable, but they are also meant to be acceptable. Today in Western society, if it's not explainable, it's not acceptable. That's increasingly happening, isn't it? It's not blind faith or stupidity to credit God with doing things that we don't understand. Does that make sense? That's not blind faith. That's faith in God, who is bigger than all these things. If God was fully explainable or containable, he would cease to be God. We need to allow him <laughs> to do things that we don't get and just celebrate them and point to him. We must not be so cynical as to resist miracles possibilities. Even that can be a danger in the church sometimes. But we mustn't be so gullible to believe everything we're told is a miracle either. It's okay to analyse them. There was a video floating around on Facebook ooh, a couple of months ago of a, uh, what do they call it? They call it the heavenly spout. This like 12-foot column of water just pouring down from the heavens. Just, just 12 foot. Oh, it looks amazing. Christian friends were passing out. Look what God can do. It's just this 
weird, miraculous phenomena. Just there must be a God. Science doesn't explain this. And I just squinted a bit, just leant into the screen a bit more. And at the, about 30 foot in the air, you could see the top of the water where it was coming up out the middle and down the outside. It was a broken hydrant. It was, it was in Ghana. It took about 10 seconds on Google to find where the origins of the video. It was just a broken hydrant on the side of a road. I think it was Uganda or Ghana. It wasn't a miraculous column of water from the heavens. It was a broken hydrant, broken mains. Miracles can be analysed and contested. That's not being cynical. That's slightly different. It's just like, is it? If they're real, they'll prove so. When there is no utter explanation other than God did this, and if they're not, if they prove to not be a miracle, then we've put away something foolish. That's okay. That's all right. I've got lots of stories about miracles happening. I won't tell them all just for the sake of time. But our own Maxine, she's a member here. She currently lives and works in China. She broke her wrist. We've got x-rays. I can show you pictures sometime. In fact, we, we celebrated it. We had the pictures up on the screen a while ago, didn't we? She broke her wrist. You can see on the x-ray, one of the bones in her wrist is quite clearly broken. In fact, it's not just broken, it's in the wrong place. It's all moved. And she had to jump on a plane from Vietnam to um, Bangkok to go and get it sorted out. They took an x-ray before she went, gave her a copy. She jumped on the plane. It's a two-and-a-half-hour flight. She eventually, I think it was the next day, she made it into the hospital. The doctors there did another x-ray, perfectly healed. And just because we'd been praying at the time, she asked us, can you please pray? When she got there, there was nothing for them to do. It was a wasted flight. It wasn't. It brought an amazing story for what God can do. I've got the photos, the before and after, just a few hours apart. It's the bones completely healed and back in place. It's just amazing. My friend Natasha, she's at City Church, Canterbury. Some of you know this story. She had a congenital heart defect that she didn't discover until her body had fully grown. And in early adulthood, she started having lots of breathing problems and chest pains. And uh, she went to the doctors, they did a scan and found that in her heart, one of the valves was deformed. There is a valve in your heart called the tricuspid valve. It's tricuspid because it's got three cusps. And it opens up, lets the blood through, stops to stop it backflowing. Her tricuspid valve only had two cusps. One was, one was missing. And so it was weak and wasn't doing its job, and that was causing the symptoms. And she was just at a meeting uh, some months, maybe even a year or two later, when our own Mike Betts, who leads our family of churches, uh, Relational Mission, he uh, was just doing a blanket prayer for healing. He wasn't laying hands on people, wasn't doing anything big and clever. Just anybody in this room, if you need prayer for healing, let me pray for you. Just do one blanket prayer for everyone. She didn't feel any different. The next time she went back for a checkup, they did the usual scan and found out that her deformed tricuspid valve with just two cusps had three cusps. The tricuspid valve is back as it should be. And the doctor's scratching his head. It's like, I have no idea. And she's like, I do. <laughs> it's brilliant. Praise God. Miracles do happen. It's not always about healing. It's just one more. Um, Jenny and I have just, in the past year or so, we've had trouble with Jenny's income. As you know, with Jenny's back, we're still praying for healing for her back. But... Um, we had money problem. Just one Monday morning, I sat down in my chair. Jenny was still asleep, all morphined up upstairs in bed, as she is, bless her. And I was just downstairs, and I was looking at our finances, thinking, we are stuffed, income-wise, at the moment. So I just prayed a prayer to God. It took about three seconds. Lord, we just need X amount. It was quite a large sum, just looking at our numbers. We need X amount to last us just the next few months. After that, I'll worry about the next bit. Just for that, I've no idea where that's coming from, but we need it. Just a few hours later, some very dear friends who will remain very anonymous emailed me to say, we'd just like to make a gift, just want to bless you as, as a brother and sister. 
And uh, so thank you very much. And I went to look, this was three hours later, I went to look in the bank account and mentioned it to Jenny, she'd awakened by then. We were just expecting a gift for a nice meal out. And there was that same figure that I had said in my head three hours earlier. It was a, a significant figure. And God used that as a miracle. There's no way. I never even said it. I didn't even say to Jenny. I prayed it. I told no one. I didn't even say it out loud. And friends who were abroad at the time emailed, sent, put that money in our account, and it was the exact same number I mentioned. It's a miracle. Miracles do happen. But we need to note this. The Greek word for miracle that you see in the Bible is simeos, which means sign. Miracle means sign. They point beyond themselves. They should always point to the miracle worker. We can get so excited about the gifts, we forget about the giver. They're meant to point us to the miracle worker. What, is it, what does it say in verse 11? And who was doing extraordinary miracles? Paul. Paul was doing extraordinary miracles. Does it say that? It says God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. He does the healing. We command the sickness to go. In fact, Jesus doesn't even tell us, lay hands and go, I lift my sister Brenda up to you. You know how lovely she is and you know how much she works for the church, so will you make her feel better, please? There's nothing wrong with that prayer, but he actually says, you heal. Sickness be gone in the name of Jesus. However, actually, it's him who's doing the healing. It's by his power. It's by Holy Spirit. It's God who is the giver who brings these healings. So it work in us, through us, by Holy Spirit. So first of all, don't forget, miracles meant to point us to God, meant to point us to Jesus. So let's look at the larger chunk of this uh, passage from verse 13 onwards. Let's read it again. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And these are seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva who were doing this. But this evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognise, but who are you? And the man in whom, the evil, in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. It's like a scene from a horror film, thinking about it. Remember that just earlier, miracles are signposts. The trouble with the verse about handkerchiefs is that in itself can present two dangers. You can dismiss it as a load of our rubbish. Just they put it in there for effect. It didn't really happen. But we need to remember this was written by Luke who'd interviewed loads of eyewitnesses who were still alive when he released this for people to read. They could have gone, go and ask them, did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. It actually happened. But the other danger is that we could copy it. Let's get some handkerchiefs prayed on. And that misses the point. It diminishes the relational aspect, the reason for them occurring. So the same here in this passage where men tried to copy a formula to exercise evil spirits from people, they were missing the point and it backfired horrendously on them. They missed the heart. One thing I do love about this is that even though the man isn't actually freed from the, from the evil spirit at the time, I trust he was later, even though that never happened, it still leads to lots of salvations, the church growing, <laughs> the evil spirit inadvertently witnessed for Christ and the church grew. <laughs> I love how God uses it. Evil spirits really do exist, but there's not a formula to how we deal with them. It's about a person, not a phenomenon. See, the Bible says the evil spirits really do exist. It talks about fallen angels, also known as demons. In Revelation chapter 12, we see about Satan and his angels were thrown to earth when they rebelled in heaven. They were thrown down to earth. 
People talk about ghosts. We were talking about that earlier. People believe in ghosts. People see something. I would suggest um, those are evil spirits. Those are evil spirits. You know, we, we see a glimpse of something going on. Um, I'll talk about something else in a minute, other aspects of what they get up to. But people um, play around with Ouija boards. Those really do move without anyone touching them. That's an evil spirit moving it. It's not your great-granddad Brian or whatever. It's an evil spirit. Seances. Oh, how did they know? It must have been my great-auntie. Evil spirits have been around for thousands of years. They're watching us. They know us. They know our ancestors' names. They know where they live. They know where they hid things under the bed. They're not stupid. Evil spirits are around and they know what's going on and they imitate, they mimic. And they're just mocking us. In the Western world, this kind of spiritual phenomenon is usually a lot quieter. When you look at the, um, the Eastern Hemisphere, uh, particularly across Asia, and the Southern Hemisphere, and South America, and so on, and Africa, they're quite blatant in their spiritual practices, and they're quite blatant in their acceptance that there are spirits around them, and they call them different gods, and things like that sometimes, don't they? And when they're acting quite blatantly about the spiritual world, demons act quite blatantly. It's a, li- it's a lot more in your face when they manifest. And in our Western world, I suggest the reason why it's a lot quieter is because we're a lot more private about our spirituality. We're a bit more demure. And the evil spirits just seem to react in the same way. They just do it a bit more insidiously, a bit more undercover, a bit more stealthily to fool us that they're not even there. In fact, I don't know if you've seen the, um, uh, the film Usual Suspects, where there's this great big baddie they're, talk- they're trying to find called Kaiser Soze and who is he and where is he? Where is he? And the, the classic quote from there is, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. That's what, in our Western world, that's what's going on. Where he's, it's no Satan. It's no evil spirits. It's just because they operate in a very different way to what we see in other parts of the world and other cultures. They present in different ways, but there are common patterns. It still happens today. We had some... People come and approach us a few years ago and um, just came to us. They'd heard about the church through a mutual friend and they came to us panicking because she was getting big claw marks across her back at night. Um, there were, things were flying across the room while they were just sitting down for dinner or watching TV. A lamp flew from one side of the room to the other. Stuff was happening. It's only up the road, not far. Asked for help. So me and Jenny went and prayed with them and... Um, Things stopped happening. We prayed with them. We prayed over the house, but we prayed with them and over them more than anything. And things stopped happening. We took just to command, to authority in the name of Jesus. Um, The thing is, we need to be pointed out. We did point out to them. It's not about geography. They don't latch onto places. They latch onto people. This is all about people. And so we did explain that and said, ultimately for you, if you want to know authority in this, if you want to know how to be free from this or this to stop this ever coming back again, it's about your relationship with Christ. It's not about me doing some incantation over you or your house. That's missing the point entirely. It's about you. So we did spend a lot of time with them. Another one, one of uh, my wife Jenny's very good friends. Uh, she was, they worked together at the time. Again, in their house, she'd been to see a medium and, and just wanted to... It, it tickles your curiosity. Go and see a medium and hear about how grandma's doing. What happened was, in the house, similar things started happening. Lights, all the electrics started flickering. Electricians checked it out. There's nothing wrong with the electrics. Electrics started flickering. Orbs of light floating in the hallway and in the landing. And it got worse, so they went back to the medium to get help. Inevitably, it made it worse. It got to a point where her daughter was physically lifted out of her bed by her chest up from her bed 
in the middle of the night and then dropped back onto the mattress. And that was it. Shh, we need help. Jen and I went around and prayed with them. Again, I shared the gospel. I shared the good news of who Jesus is and his sovereignty in the spiritual realm. It's all about him. It's all about you. But we will pray over this. We'll take authority here. And we did. And stopped completely. But again, I had to stress to them, this is not about a place. This is about people. This is about you. And the more important is about Jesus. Other stories, just one more. I used to be a paramedic for 20 years. And um, a number of people I met clearly had evil spirits going on. There was clearly some form of deliverance they needed each time. That there was, mental health is a, is a serious issue and it is genuinely mental health. But sometimes there can be an evil spirit at work as well. Now one guy kept hearing voices. He was labelled a schizophrenic. I believe this time he wasn't. It was an evil spirit. And he was being told to pour petrol over himself, set fire to himself and take other people down with him. And he was just terrified of hurting anyone. He said, I don't want to do it. But these voices are so insistent. The only way to shut them up is doing it. So we took him to the hospital as a place of safety and I was talking with him in the back. He was saying medication doesn't help, counselling doesn't help, going to hospital doesn't help ultimately. It keeps coming back and I'm just terrified of one day I'm just going to have to do it. And the moment I said, he was just calm, his normal voice, just looking at me, he's quite a soft guy, just terrified. And the moment I said to him, ultimately the only thing that would take authority here, that would deal with this for you, is Jesus Christ. And he looked at me, his face changed, his voice changed, his eyes changed, and he pointed at me and said, don't you talk to me about Jesus of Nazareth. I saw him baptised by John the Baptist. And I know for a fact that that was a demon, that was a thousand-year-old demon, was speaking through him. Just how do you, where do you even start dealing with that? That bloke needed discipleship. I just had to pray that he had some follow-up there. I was never going to see him again. You have him in the back of your ambulance for half an hour, it's hard. So I just had to pray that God would just put other people in his path and disciple him through church and... Otherwise, you clean out the house and Jesus says the evil spirit comes back with seven strong men. You know, we've just got to really pray for these people. It happens. Even today, 21st century, even little old Herne Bay, it's around us. It's real. It's just because of our private, more demure culture makes it all go a bit stealthy. They're real. Thing is, we mustn't look for the devil under every rock. I ain't going to give him too much credit. But we mustn't be ignorant of his devices either. 1 Peter 5 says he prowls around like a lion looking for people to devour. We need to be aware of him and know what he's up to. And like I say, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing the Western world that he doesn't exist. We need to be aware that he really is up to his tricks. But if there is a supernatural world, which I've just been demonstrating, then there are other beings that work within that. We just need to recognise who's lord of it. If we are his people, if we are God's people, children of the God of every dimension, then it's natural that we have authority in the supernatural realm as well as the physical. But this is where it comes to a person, not a phenomenon. You see, the power is not just in us. The power is in the name of Jesus. But not as a magic word. As these men discovered. Exodus chapter 20 says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. What were they doing? Taking the Lord's name in vain. See, abracadabra, I'll say that, straight away you think of magic. It's a word that has magical connotations. Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, is that Cinderella? A little magical song. If you look at um, occultic websites, I was looking at a few during the week, just to look at this, see what they say about words. Um, Occultic... um, societies and groups and so on, magic practices, they all have, they place a lot of emphasis on the spoken word. They have a lot of emphasis on certain words you speak out as incantations, as mantras or curses. And while words can have an effect on us, even so much as when you're growing up, you'll never amount to much. If that's spoken over you a lot, that has an effect. 
Yeah, you're a mistake. If you've heard that growing up, that has an effect on you. Words do have an effect, but that's less about the wording or the formula as an incantation. It's more about the rejection and the heart behind it. But when it comes to the name of Jesus, we reach a whole other level. Why? Because it's more than just a word. It's a name. It's a person. That name is more than just any name. It's the name above all names. The person behind it is the person above all persons. The power is not in the word, but in the person that the name represents. Jesus is the word. And that's who we're calling on. He is the risen king and conqueror. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, this is Paul writing to the church in Colossus. And right at the beginning, he just halfway through the first chapter, he paints this wonderful picture. Do you, do you realise how big this Jesus is? Do you realise, he says. Here we go. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean he was born first. That means he's the inheritor. He's the heir of all creation. He's always existed. For by him, here we go, all things were created in heaven and on earth, spiritual and material, visible and invisible, material and spiritual, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He rules over the invisible and the visible world. He rules over the physical realm. He rules over the spiritual realm. James chapter 2 verse 19 says that even demons believe in this one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, and they shudder. They realise his true sovereignty. One thing I will ask is, do you know him? Do you know this amazing, awesome, sovereign God? who rules over all things, both material and spiritual. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? You see, when we say there is power in the name of Jesus, it's not as an incantation as these men soon discovered. They were just using his name as a formula. The power is in the one who owns that name, Jesus. This is about relationship. You can declare Jesus' name in complete authority when you're in relationship with him. And without a doubt, every time you stake a claim in that place for him. To declare his name as his people is not a magical mantra. It wields power when it's rooted in relationship with him. Submitting, submitting to him brings us into his family. And when you enter into someone else's family, when you're adopted into a new family, your name changes. You're suddenly someone else. You could be over here with the sons of Sceva. I want a bit of that. Jesus. Nothing happens. When you're in a new family with your own new name, you belong to him. You're, the, you're a son or daughter of the Father because of what big brother Jesus has done for you. When on the cross, he took complete and utter victory. He conquered sin. He conquered death once and for all. He rose from the graves. He didn't have to do it again and to prove he's victor over all these things. When you're his, you have complete authority to utter his name and things happen. That's the king we live for. It's not a mantra, it's a person. And we now have a name that we can depend on to effect kingdom change for his glory, not our simple gain, for his purposes and not for our preferences. It's all about him. As we as 
people as we declare his name on the authority, in the authority he has handed to us, the spiritual realm does quake. Demons do shudder and they surrender. I've seen it happen. I've seen them leave people. I've actually seen the shudder. When it's left someone, in the name of Jesus, leave this person now. There's a shudder and it's gone. And their face, their countenance, their voice just changes. I've seen it. The war was won at the cross. This is just the mop-up operation we're living in now. The war's already been won. And that's something we can rely on. And what happened as a result of all this? Verse 20 in Acts 19 says, The word of the Lord is what continued to prevail mightily, continued to increase. Jesus is the ruler of the spiritual world as much as the material. But Holy Spirit, he can step into the material world at any moment and surprise us with something that should not be. He still does miracles today. We can still expect them. We should expect them. But also by Holy Spirit, he protects us in the spiritual world from attack and evil device, whether we see it at work or not. You'd be surprised what he's doing behind the scenes that we don't even know. Again, we're just going to pray in a minute, but I would say, I would ask again, one more time, do you know this Jesus? He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God of gods, name above all names. Do you know him? So when you do, you can have complete confidence in being a new creation in him. You can even take authority over evil spirits. You can even expect to see miracles happen in your everyday life when you're walking filled by Holy Spirit in this seemingly secular world. It's not. But we can prove that. We can demonstrate it's not by living a naturally supernatural life when we're his people. Let me just pray.